0: All right, um, I, I've got a lot, lot to cover here today, and uh, so if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Kings chapter 3. This is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to attempt to walk through about 400 years of biblical history. <laughs> it's going to be good, don't worry. Um, the bad news is we can't read it all. The good news is I'm going to save you about 400 pages of reading. I'm kidding. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. All right. I'm going to need uh, Okay. Also, secondly, this is going to be an interactive sermon, so I'm going to need about 40 men in the house to help me today. So just be ready for that. The first one I want you to invite up is my friend, Marty, a.k.a. King Solomon. Welcome to the stage, King Solomon. Grab a seat on your throne, King Solomon. Solomon the high harmony singer. Okay. <laughs> and humble. Okay, here's the backstory. If you don't like history, just stick with me because there's some great lessons for us to learn and there's some, uh, there's some modern day application for what we see in the history of what took place in the kingdom of Israel. So Prior to Solomon, so where we're starting today, really where we're starting is the year 970 BC when this guy is 20 years old and he's taking over uh, the, the throne as king of, of the kingdom of Israel, God's kingdom, okay? But what happens before this, if you remember the story maybe from uh, Sunday school or something, is that God's people ended up in Egypt and at first it first started as a good thing and then they grew and they expanded, but then the Pharaoh didn't like it that they were doing so well, so he enslaved them. And God's people were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And then what happened? They cried out to God. And God does what he always does. He sends a deliverer. He sends Moses in to deliver God's people out of Egypt through through might and through power, signs and wonders. And they get delivered from Egypt. And they're supposed to go directly into the promised land. Okay, but what happened? They didn't. They wandered around in the desert for about 40 years because they disbelieved God and therefore they disobeyed God. Disobedience always comes from disbelief, and that's what they did. And then eventually, a man by the name of Joshua actually leads God's people into God's promised land for them. And then they were sort of governed by what was called judges for a a number of years. And then the day came when God's people, who were led by God, said, Hey, God, we want to have a human king like all of the other nations around us. And God was like, I'm your king. But okay. So God gives them a human king, and his name was Saul. Saul. Did Saul work out? No, Saul didn't work out. So God removes Saul, and he sets in place one of the greatest kings to ever reign, and his name was David. David. And David was a great and mighty king, and the Bible says that David walked in the righteousness of the Lord all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So he kind of took a left turn here for a minute when he uh, sort of slept with somebody else's wife, got her pregnant, and then had had her husband killed. You remember that? And yet the Bible still describes for us that he was a man after God's own heart. And now this is extra biblical, but my opinion is because he never hid or ran from God. He always brought whatever was real to God. And like I just love in the Psalms that we see... Some of the Psalms are like, oh, Jesus, you're the best. Not really Jesus, Yahweh, but, oh, you're the best, God, I love you. And then some of the Psalms are like, what's going on? I want everybody to die. Ah, my soul. ah." Right? It just is everything. It just is everything. So if you feel that too, like you're not alone, and he just would bring everything to the Lord. Um, And so great sin, terrible, terrible darkness that hopefully many of us in this room haven't committed. But nevertheless, he always was right with God. And then David sets in his son Solomon to be king. So I want to read one passage to start here so we can see how this guy's reign started. Remember, the year is 970 BC. He's 20 years old, and this is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. In other words, God showed up to Solomon, he's 20, he just became king, and he said, ask for whatever you want. Or, or if you could ask for anything, what would you ask of me? Now, it might kind of sound like a sort of an Aladdin genie in a bottle situation, but I don't think that's what it is. It's not just like, hey, you know, just you get three wishes, just whatever you want, I'll give to you. No, no, I think that what God is asking this king of God's people is what's really in your heart, What's really deep on the inside, the deepest desires? And I, I wonder how you would answer that question if God actually showed up and said, hey, what do you really want? What do you want me to give you? What would you say? So watch what Solomon says. He says, you've shown great steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. Not always uprightness in action, but uprightness in heart. God is always primarily concerned with our heart. Actions have to follow. Actions have to be corrected. But what God wants is our heart. And you have kept, him, you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O oh Lord, my God. See, it wasn't just David's God. It was my God. You have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Now watch the humility. the humility. He's 20. He says, although I'm but a little child, I don't know how to go out and come in, which I think is referring to being a man of, of war and, and military leadership. He says, I'm in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered and counted for multitude. Sensing the humility here in his, in his, in his voice before he even asks for anything, he's like, I'm, I'm just a nobody. Who am I to lead your people? So he says this, verse 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I might discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. And God said to him, Because you've asked for this and you have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or life from your enemies, but you've asked for yourself for understanding to discern what is right. Listen, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. In other words, I know that there's some smart people in this room but you're not as wise as this guy. Other than the choice to get the mustache, unwise decision, unwise. I'm just kidding. It's very kingly of you. But you have to catch this. God gives him of all of the things that one might ask for money, wealth, power, fame, prestige. He asks for wisdom, and God gives it, and gives it to the highest degree. I give you... uh, Verse 13, so he gives it, and then he says, I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king can compare with you all your days. And if... You walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments. As your father David walked, I will lengthen your days. So, it is the year 970 B.C., and the God of the universe gives King Solomon wisdom unmatched. So, in other words, King David... One of the greatest kings of all time, in fact, still the the king that would be referred back to even to this day as the greatest king, King David, probably followed up by Solomon. The trajectory of God's kingdom is being established in a really good direction. David and then Solomon and Solomon did what even David couldn't do. You see, David wasn't allowed to build the temple of God, but Solomon was. Solomon built a magnificent temple, a house for God to dwell in. And so God's kingdom is starting off on a really nice track, isn't it? But let's take a look at what happens for the next two to four hundred years. Right after King Solomon, the kingdom of God, which is composed of 12 tribes of God's people, the 12 tribes of Israel, right after Solomon, those 12 tribes split. Not right in half, but basically what takes place is there's, there becomes two kingdoms out of one. And there's a, there's a kingdom in the north, and there's a kingdom in the south. The kingdom in the north inherits the name Israel and goes by the northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel, and it's composed of 10 of the tribes. The kingdom in the south takes on the name Judah, named after the lead tribe, and that's composed of Judah and Benjamin. So I just want you to see what takes place after this great king who has absolute wisdom unmatched, what happens in God's family from here on out. And so right now what I'm going to need is I'm going to need 19 guys, volunteers to run up here in front of the stage right now. Thank you, Logan. I want you to start right here. I need 19 guys to stand right across this stage. Hurry, 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 hurry. 19 of you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Squeeze in, squeeze in, squeeze in, squeeze in. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. I need five more. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Thank you. I'll get you next time. Let me just make sure. Okay, what these men represent. I might need you, Cody. Let me see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 17, 18, 19, thank you. No, you're in. Okay, what I want you to imagine, every one of these men represents a king, God's leader in the northern kingdom. Okay, right after Solomon's reign, we start with king number one, and these kings represent about 200 years of history. Okay, so now the Bible tells us whether these kings were good or evil. So this is what I'm gonna have you do, gentlemen. If I tell you that you are a good king, stay up here. And if I tell you that you represent an evil king, I'm gonna have you sit down, okay? So this is the northern kingdom. I just want you to see how many good versus how many evil, okay? So the northern kingdom of Israel, starting right after the reign of Solomon, the wisest guy to ever live, by the way. Surely he established a good kingdom, right? So in the north... The first king was evil. I'm sorry, you could sit down. The second king was evil. You could sit down. But the third king, evil. You could sit down. (laughs) That's unfortunate we had a a rough start because this this is God's people. Fourth king, evil. Sit down. Fifth king, evil. Sit down. Six, evil. Sit down. Seven, evil. Sit down. But... Number eight, new beginnings, super evil. Sit down. (laughs) Number nine, evil. Ten, evil. Eleven, evil. And my favorite number, 12, evil. You can sit down. We're off to a rough start, but lucky number 13, super evil. You can sit down. 14 evil, 15 evil, 16 evil, 17 evil, 18 evil, 19. The year is 722 B.C., and guess what happens? Evil. Sit down. (laughs) Anybody who reads their Bible, what happens in 722 B.C.? About 200 years after the wisest man to ever live follows up King David and establishes God's kingdom, what happens in 722 in the north? The Assyrian army comes in and decimates the entire kingdom. Takes God's people away. Hauls them off. And this is why. The Bible tells us why. 2 Kings chapter 17, it says this. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and out of the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. They walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And in their customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. You see, everything flows from the top down. Everything flows from leadership on down. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. The truth is, there are no secrets in God's eyes. Now listen, they built for themselves high places in all of their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars of asherim or asherah poles in every high, high hill and under every green tree. And they made offerings on all of the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which the Lord said to them, you shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah. You know, the Lord doesn't prefer warning, but if he needs to give it, he will. And it's still rooted out of love. You got to catch this. If God can motivate us, through just simple love and blessing, he will. But if that doesn't work, he will use discipline and warning. He warned them through every prophet and every seer, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and statutes in accordance with the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by your servants, the prophets. Okay, so we had great and mighty King David, and then we had Solomon set in place. Remember, he's the wisest person to ever live. If anybody was equipped to establish a great process and a great kingdom that would follow in the ways of the Lord, surely it was that guy. But for some reason, right after this guy, the kingdom splits, disunity enters, and then the kingdom in the north just makes terrible, terrible decisions from the top on down. And discipline conquers. And so we just saw there was not a single good king in the the north, but there's still a southern kingdom, the the kingdom of Judah. And so for the next 400 years after Solomon, it was ruled and reigned by 20 different kings. So I'm going to need 20 guys up here real quick, real quick. 20, 20, 20, 20. Start right here. Thank you. 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Oh, look at these young men, men of God. They're just trying to be good. Squeeze in, squeeze in, squeeze in, squeeze left, squeeze left, squeeze left, squeeze left. Thank you. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. What are you saying yes for? You're almost there. <laughs> uh, go be a good king of your household, okay? The Bible tells us whether these kings were good or whether they were evil. What do you think is going to happen? Let's see. The kingdom of Judah. The first king in Judah was evil. Sit down. The second king in Judah was evil. Sit down. The third king in Judah, Asa. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, man of God. As David, his father, had done, he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land. Good job. That is some bad behavior. He banned it. And he removed all the idols that his father had made. He removed Maka, his mother, from being queen because she had made an abominable image for Asherah, the sex goddess. And Asa cut down her image and burned it in the brook Kidron, right next to the temple. Now listen, but Asa did not tear down the high places. He was a good king, but he didn't do something. King number four like father, like son. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was some name I can't say. You can read it in your Bible. The daughter of some other dude. Read your Bible, folks. He walked in all the ways of Asa, his father, and he did not turn aside from doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Come on, man of God. And yet... He did not tear down the high places. Are you noticing a theme? And the people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. Hmm. He was good. But he didn't do something. King number five, evil, sit down. King number six, evil, sit down. King number seven, God's number, nope, evil, sit down. King number eight, Joash, or Jehoash. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. See, listen to your pastors. <laughs> Nevertheless, guess, he did not tear down the high places. And the people continued to sacrifice and make offerings On the high places. King number nine, Amaziah. And Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Are you noticing that there's a few terms that keep coming up? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Yet not like David, his father, he did in all things as Joash, his father, had done. But he did not tear down the high places. And the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. King number 10, Uzziah, or otherwise known as Azariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Nevertheless, he did not tear down the high places. And the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. King number 11, Jotham. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to his father Uzziah. Nevertheless, he did not tear down the high places. And the people still made offerings on the high places. King number 12. Evil. Sit down. (laughs) King number 13. Lucky number 13. Oh, friends, his name was Hezekiah. This guy right here is a good king through and through he tore down all of the high places and all of the idols he actually served god with his whole heart good job unfortunately it didn't work out for the next guy evil sit down number 15 evil sit down number 16 young man i think you're the youngest man up here which makes sense because josiah started serving God, uh, started being king at age eight, and Josiah served the Lord. Good king. King number 17, evil, sit down. King number 18, evil, sit down. King number 19, evil. And king number 20, the year is 586 B.C., evil. Sit down, please. (laughs) And in 586 BC, what happens? The Babylonians come in and they destroy the the nation. They tear down God's house in Jerusalem and they haul off most of the Jews into exile. This is where you're going to see the stories of Daniel and the lion's den, Nebuchadnezzar and all of that. So I wanted you to see what it looked like in God's family by way of leadership on down. 40 kings, including Solomon, 41, including David. And there was eight that even had a hint of being good. Really, only two that were all the way serving the Lord. And I'm sure you caught it by now that even these six, even though they followed the Lord in their heart, and in their life, they didn't take care of something extremely important that was under their authority. They did not tear down the high places. Thank you, guys. You guys can all sit down. So I want to ask the question, how did we get here? How did we get to God's people, God's kingdom in the north being hauled off in 722 B.C., and in 586, God's kingdom of Judah being hauled off in 586 B.C. How did this begin? Because remember, where this split started was right after the wisest person to ever live. Friend, I want to let you know that wisdom is not an assurance that you won't sin, Gifts, skills, and abilities are not protection against the lack of integrity. In fact, I would say this, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, but character and integrity is your choice. Watch this. This is why this man of God who started his reign in humility and in asking God for good gifts that God indeed gave, wisdom to lead God's people... This is why it started a kingdom that would eventually fall because of this. It says, now Solomon loved, this is 1 Kings 11. Solomon loved many foreign women. (laughs) He's just an actor. This is a paid actor, by the way. (laughs) Along with the daughter of Pharaoh. (laughs) Along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them; neither shall they with you. Now, watch this. Here's the command. Here's the particular command in this in this in this place in Scripture. Don't marry these people. That's the command, just plain and simple. But what is said next is extremely important for you to get, because. There is always a good reason for God's commandments. You have to catch this. God does not give arbitrary commandments. In other words, God is not sitting up in heaven and he doesn't just come up with things like, okay, I know there's other religions out there. So let me just think of like some things that don't really make sense, but I'll just tell them to do it and then I'll just see if they really love me. Let just make up some random stuff and just see if they'll really serve me. That's not how God is. God doesn't give arbitrary commandments. He gives commandments because he knows either that something is inherently evil and detrimental to our soul, or, watch this, that something, even though it doesn't appear to be evil, is going to lead us in a path that will end up in our destruction. So in this particular case, you gotta catch this. I told you not to marry these people. Why? For surely, this is verse two for surely uh, you will turn away your heart after their gods. This is the why. God gave a commandment because he knew what the result would be. It's not just action, it's not just sinful choices, it's your heart. God's always primarily concerned with your heart. Not just the things you do, although we all know that the things you do are gonna flow from what you believe. Ultimately, they're gonna flow from what you worship. And God has always wanted our heart. And so he gives this commandment and even the wisest person to ever live didn't take heed to his own wisdom or the wisdom of God. Watch what happens. Solomon clung to these women in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. That's a lot. Now, some preachers would make the joke man, I can hardly handle one wife. How did he have a thousand? I mean, I wouldn't make that joke, but some. (laughs) I'd take a thousand of you, babe, any day. I'd take a thousand of you. back away slowly (laughs) the truth is these these wives he he probably just did what he wanted with them but he did love he loved at least some of them because it says this and his wives turned away his heart you know, you gotta be careful of the things that you allow in your life because it's not just substances, it's not just fleshly decisions that might turn your heart away, it might be some relationships. They turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was, listen, not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. You see, what we see in Solomon, and you gotta catch this, we don't see Solomon get to a place in his life where he goes, I reject you God. God. And I turned to Baal or Asher or whatever. No, no, no. It wasn't a full rejection of one and a, and, a, and a gripping of another. There was a mixture that began to take place. His heart was not wholly to the Lord, fully and completely to God. He allowed other things to come in. And I'm telling you right now, God is not willing to share his throne with anything or anybody else. And they started to turn his heart. And so what did this turning do in him. Solomon went after, verse five, Solomon went after the Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as his father David had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and of Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. So even in the shadow of God's temple, he was doing this. And so he did for all of his foreign wives who made offerings to sacrifice to their gods. So when we look at these 39 kings and and how they did, and the kings that even did good and served God with their life, what they did not tear down was something that started with the wisest person to ever live. Allowing high places to be established in the land. Now, what was a high place? Practically speaking, it would have been an altar or a place of worship up on a high mountain. And that's where they started, typically in high places because they believed the gods were higher. And sometimes we even sort of believe that as well. That's why we have steeples and we like high places and we feel closer to God. That's what they believe. But by, the, by later in time, it, it didn't even necessarily need to be in a high place physically. It could be in a low place. It didn't really matter. The point was they were altars to other gods. Now, why would they go and worship other gods? Because these other gods represented things. So Asherah, for example, she was the sex goddess and the goddess, the, the goddess that supposedly was the, the provider of children. So they wanted kids, especially back then, you needed to have a lot of kids to sort of you know, grow things and run the family and the household and all of that. And so if if their God wasn't providing what they wanted, they might just find themselves occasionally going to a high place in order to beg another God to give them that child. And the way that they would worship this God is through sexually explicit acts, sometimes in public, public prostitution for all to see. Some of these other gods that were mentioned, just absolutely despicable. In fact, some of them, the way that they would worship them was through child sacrifice. They would take their own babies and burn them in the fire to try and appease some god to get something from that god. You know, Baal was the god of vegetation, food, rain, this is why Elijah comes and he says, hey, it's not gonna rain for three years. That wasn't an arbitrary thing, prophetic word. It's because he knew you guys are trusting in this false God for your rain and your food and vegetation. So I'm gonna show you who the, who the real God is. None of it is arbitrary. Like it, it's meaningful, all of it. And So the wisest king to ever live allowed something to turn his heart and he allowed high places to be built and those high places would be the thing that takes down king after king because they did not take care of what was in their land and the people of God would go to those places and worship and their hearts were turned. And so really I have one point for this message. It's an invitation to tear down the high places in your life. Are there any high places in your life? Now, I get it. You're probably not going and bowing down before some altar that says Molech on it. But you know as well as I do that we are still sacrificing our children on the altar of self-determination. Are you with me? We're sacrificing our kids in this nation by the millions on the altar of convenience and doing what we want to do. We're sacrificing our integrity on the high places that have altars that go by different names than the ones in the Bible, but nevertheless, they're still altars of idol worship. As I was preparing for this message, I even saw in my mind's eye prophetically, I saw up in somebody's closet, some magazines tucked back behind some boxes. And I remember when I was in middle school, going to my buddy's house, his parents were off at work, and my friend, he knew that there was some things hidden in a high place in the shed in the backyard. So we went out to that shed, and we found some magazines and some videotapes. And our eyes were open to a whole new world. An evil world. Now, I don't think that his dad probably went to that altar every single day, surely not in front of his own wife. But he kept that in his household. And whether or not they had been there for 20 years and he hadn't gone back to it, he allowed that high place to remain on his property. And it and it His kids, I went and found it. So what am I really saying to you? I know you probably don't have a magazine because we don't go to magazines anymore, but you might have something on your cell phone. You might have hidden things that you don't go to day after day, but if you're allowing them in your kingdom, could it be that your kids might find their way to it one day? Oh, let's put some more teeth to it because maybe you're not not really getting it. You're not really grasping Like, Give me some examples. How about this? If you are showing your kids that where they can find fulfillment and and stature in life is through giving yourself over to sports, let's just say, as an example. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with sports. But if in your kingdom, you're showing them that this is the highest thing that you should go after and give your life to and not showing them that they need to give their life to God primarily, that he's number one and anything else, including sports or hobbies, or how about money? If you're, could it be that some of us are sacrificing our family on the altar of progress and making more money through our jobs? Like we have to we have to say, start to say, well, okay, We don't have altars like this, but if I could apply it to my life, is there any high place? Is there anything in my world that I'm allowing either in my life or that I'm setting the example for my kids? That this is a place that you can go when you need comfort. This is a place that you can go when you wanna ask for provision. This is a place that you can go when you wanna get something that feeds your own flesh. I want to invite you to tear down the high places. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, but character and integrity are not. I just want to quickly give you a few more examples of what I'm seeing, just so you're aware of what's going on in culture. Because this is most definitely a personal message that can be applied to our life and the sin and the sin structures that we have in our life but just so you know what's happening in culture right now it's extremely disturbing and if you're not seeing it you need to know what's going on see when I was growing up I just kind of believed like, oh man, there's Christians and then there's like other people of other religions and then there's people that like don't believe in God. Those are called atheists. And and then there's these other people that practice like witchcraft and psychics and mediums and people that kind of do things with crystals and and sort of like those are separated. But I'm telling you what's going on right now because the devil is getting into society is that there's an extreme and very ugly mixture taking place. I have screenshots on my phone right now of people that are declaring themselves to be, and I kid you not, all of these are real, Christian psychics, Christian mediums, Christian diviners, or somebody that practices divination who's Christian. Are you seeing a problem here? I had a whole conversation with a girl who in her profile on Instagram has one of my favorite verses, Numbers 6, 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Maybe he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I posted something about the law and what's going on with Roe v. Wade and abortion. And she writes back to me and she says, I absolutely believe that every person should be able to choose abortion. And I simply wrote back and I said, how can you say that? you have the Lord's blessing in your bio. You're telling me that you're a Christian and yet you think that it's okay to take a human life? And she said, absolutely. For God knew that they would be aborted and if somebody can't provide for them, then they should make that choice. And I said, sister, how can you say this? What you're saying is you're literally saying that you distrust God's promise to provide for you. And so what we're seeing is this, it's it's actually the theological term is syncretism. This mixing of false, evil religion with Christianity and we need to tear it down. We need to tear down the high places because God wants purity of faith according to his word. Can I invite you to stand to your feet? This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna begin to worship. Worship. And what you're gonna hear them lead us in is a song and you're gonna hear the lyrics, I surrender, I surrender. And here at the beginning, as they begin to sing, whether you sing or not, I wanna invite you to to just give room for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Now listen, I recognize that this is a heavy message. I love you. I'm not mad at you. And God is not mad at you. God wants your heart and he wants all of your heart. And I just want to invite you as they begin to sing that you would bring your your soul and let it just be open before God. I heard the Lord say this, your soul is safe with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus did not come to condemn the world. For anyone who is in Christ, there is no condemnation. I did not come to condemn anybody. I came to see you set free. And I heard the Lord say, if you bring your soul, no matter how dark, no matter what has happened in the past, no matter, no matter if you're even like David, adulterous and murderous, whatever it is, if you bring it to me, it is safe with me. I will help you with it for God will never turn away somebody who's humble and repent." And so if you would, if you have the courage to do that, and if I'm not speaking to you, I'm not speaking to you, but let's give room for the Holy Spirit to just highlight if there's anything in your life that has become a high place or an altar upon which you are sacrificing something that you shouldn't. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin to highlight those things. Let's go into that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak to each one of us right now. In the name of Jesus. today. We're gonna to begin to surrender the things on the only true altar, the altar of God. Can I get my prayer team to come forward, please? Anybody on the prayer team come forward. I'm gonna have you go right over under the cross please. Anybody on the prayer team right over under the cross. Yeah all the way over there under the cross. We're gonna keep worshiping and you see what's already begun happening up here is people will become to, to bow down before God and so this is what I want to do. I want to I want to make this, this front space an altar where you can come and get on your knees and bow down before God. If you have r- realized that there's something in your life that just needs to be brought to the altar, laid at the altar, and maybe you know that you need prayer, the prayer team's going to be over here. We, we still have a couple more songs yet. I want to invite you to come over and get prayer from these guys. I want to let you know anytime we pray, what we're doing is we're asking God to do what only God can do. just saying some religious words because that's what you're supposed to do. We're praying in faith that the supernatural God would come and do supernatural things on the inside. And so every one of them is ready to pray for you for absolute healing, for absolute deliverance, for absolute wholeness, for whatever it is that God can do. And some things, friends, we cannot do. He has to do it. And they're going to pray for that. But in response to what God does in our life, we're called to action as well. And every time I pray for somebody for deliverance from anything or freedom from anything or healing from anything, I say, friend, I'm gonna pray right now and believe that God is gonna do something powerful that only he can do. But when I get done praying, I just want you to imagine for a second if Jesus was standing right next to me and after we pray and ask him to do what only he could do, if you looked him right in his eyes and you said, hey, Jesus, is there anything that you want me to do? What do you think he would say? And see, that's the question that some of us are scared to ask. Sometimes sometimes we're perfectly comfortable confessing something to God and confessing and confessing. Sometimes I get people that come up to me and they're like, Pastor, I want to be delivered so bad. I fell into it again. Please pray for me that I'll be delivered. I want it so bad. I say, absolutely. Let's pray and believe that God will do what only God can do. But how bad do you want it? Because though God can do anything, there are some things he won't do. Just as an example, he won't pick up your computer and slam it against the wall, but you could. Well, that's a thousand dollar computer, Craig. I know, but you could do it if you wanted it that bad. How about you trade in your phone for a flip phone? They still make those. How about you work a few less hours? You could do that. My point is this. It's not about our works first. You gotta hear this. God loves us. God came to us. God stepped out of heaven to be with us. He offered us forgiveness and salvation. By grace, we receive it through faith, not by works at all. But it is only us that can tear down the high places, and that takes our action. So all I'm asking is, if Jesus would say anything to you, what might it be, and are you willing to do it? And if Jesus would speak something to you today, would you have the courage to get that concrete in your mind and decide, if I hear you ask me to sacrifice something, no matter what it costs me, when I leave this building, I will do it. I know that's hard, hard, but I didn't come here today to just play church. I came here today to see high places get torn down, altars get eradicated from our life. I came here today to see people find freedom. And so this is what I wanna do. As we go back into this song, I wanna invite you to come up if you know that you just need to bow down and sacrifice something to God. You know, you don't have to come here. You can stay in your seat, but what I find is that God God honors the physical response to what he's doing in the spiritual place, and we see this all throughout the Bible. This is why when they came finally into the promised land, he had them go back down into the river, river, grab stones, and put up these physical monuments of what he had done for them, and so I actually want to invite you right now. If you know that you need prayer, come out of your seat right now. Don't let anything stop you. Go over here. They're going to begin singing here in a minute, and if you need to bow down before God, don't let anything stop you. Embarrassment The person standing next to you, oh, what are people gonna think of me? Listen, nothing is worth, friend, that thing continuing to have a grip on your life. I know what it feels like to sit in your seat and think, I should probably do that, but nah, I'll just pray from where I'm at. But you've done that before, haven't you? You've prayed from that seat before. Come on, do something different. Come and bow down and offer it to God. Maybe go over and get prayer and believe in faith. Confess that thing and then decide, this is what I need to do. I need to break the pipe. I need to get rid of the pills. I need to get rid of the bottle. I need to get rid of X, Y, or Z. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that you need to get rid of because it's that relationship that is going to lead you astray it already is come on we're not just playing church anymore we're going all in and if you need to leave then go ahead and leave but what we're doing right now in this place is holy business and i want to invite you if god is not speaking to you then stay in your seat i'm not trying to twist your arm but if god is moving in your heart please respond because he wants to bring freedom